Good, good to be with you this afternoon. I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, some, some place I've been stuck here this year in, in Philippians. And so Colin asked me this week to, to speak at the 2.30 service and account a privilege to be here this afternoon. And so Philippians chapter 2. And uh, if, you can t- if you can turn there. Title of my message today is, should it be on the screen, The Heart of a Worshipper. The Heart of a Worshipper. And we're going to look at some things this afternoon on the example of Christ on the example of Christ and looking at Philippians chapter 2. And I've been on a process this year and uh, a process of change, a process of transformation. And Colin challenged us at the beginning of this year to go deeper with the Lord. And he gave us three things. I don't know if you can remember what they are. The three things before, as we move forward into the 2020 vision. One is mature. Mature in the things of God. And as I just looked at the things that I need to mature in, I start to think about favourite verses. How many people have favourite verses? Your favourite verses? Uh, something that is a challenge about our faith is sometimes we come up with these verses, don't we? And we, you know, we, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, oh, really? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you know that in the book of Philippians when Paul says he can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens him, guess where he is? He's in prison. So if you could be in prison right now, would it be that you could confess that I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me? Because sometimes circumstances that we go through and difficulties that we experience, sometimes we can't confess those things. And when it comes to maturity, I challenge myself. I've got some favorite verses. I've got some favorite books that I like to read in the Bible. But do I understand them? Uh, have I went deeper in the scriptures? Do I understand the context? Do I understand the history? Do I understand the reason he said that? So I want to challenge you today. As we move forward, even during this season, it's easy to say Christ is the center of Christmas. But do you even know Christ? Do you know what it means to be in relationship to Christ? Are you pursuing Christ? And as I prayed here uh, this afternoon, Colin lit a match on this platform, symbolizing a revival. Now, there's two ways that we can view this, isn't there? One, oh well, revival. Revival's come. We had William Lee. Revival. We had open heaven in 97. We've seen amazing things. We've seen oil in the hands. We've seen gold teeth. We've been to the tabernacle. We've moved from the tabernacle back to KT. We've planted over 200 churches. We've seen a lot of things in KT. To have another word in revival is like, what, again? Aren't we in revival? What's happening? And you can have the attitude, or you can say, well, if something new is happening, I don't want to miss it. Amen? Do you want to miss it? I don't want to miss it. And so I want to challenge you today, if a, if a match has been lit, if something has been prophesied, then you start to tap into it. Amen. You start to tap into that. You start to press into that. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, it's time to tap in to revival. It's time to tap in to the presence of God. So I, I want something deeper. I want something that's real. I want something that's authentic. I want to see God move in my generation. And I don't want to just preach about it either or speak about it. I want to see a change in my life. And now we've just moved into December. It's not too late to the end of this year. God can still move in your life. Secondly, it challenges to multiply, which is to basically add one member to the cell group, add a person into the kingdom of God. You know what? You can't save anybody, but God can save. Amen. That's the reason Jesus came. That's the reason the wise men worshipped him because he's the saviour. Something happened. It was supernatural that these kings bowed down and worshipped Christ. He was just a small little baby. What were they doing? Kneeling down, worshipping a small baby. Why would you do that? 
Why would you go down to Hammersmith, Queen Charlotte Hospital, and start bowing down to some babies? It doesn't make sense. There was something real on the inside that told them that there was something different about this baby. Something on the inside, and it's God on the inside that tells you that there's something different to expect God during this season. So expect God for great things. Expect God that He would multiply and reach people through your life. And then number three, He told us to mobilize. Did you know that 90% of the people in the church, which is probably you today, will not be involved in what you call full-time Christian service? It means you're not going to be a pastor, you're not going to be a reverend, you're not going to be an elder, you're not going to be a deacon, but your job really, or your commission, or your call, is to go out into the world and make a difference for him. Like, for example, Colin can't be in the hospital where you are. Colin can't be in the school where you are. Colin can't be everywhere. And none of the ministers can be everywhere. Our job is to equip you to go out there into the world and make a difference for God. Now, how? Amen. Hallelujah. How do you do that? Well, I'm not asking you to build a Kensington temple in your uh, sphere of influence. That may be something that God wants you to do. But I remember a lady who worked at Sky Sports and the Muslims were praying. And she'd walk past the Sky Sports room, the prayer room, and they had their Quran and they had their mats and they had everything. Now she could have just said, you know what, that's not my job. I'm not a fanatic. I don't need to rock the boat. But something convicted her. Something was like saying, hey, you need to do something about this. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit on the inside of you saying, hey, you're called to make a difference. You're not called to go through the motions. Somebody called me the day and she just kept saying to me, you're not called to go through the motions. And interestingly enough, that morning I woke up with a phrase in my mind and the phrase was, it's not business as usual, which means not to go through the motions. God has not called us just to go through the motions. He's called us to tap in to the presence of Jesus and the anointing to make a difference for him. So what did she do? Well, she, she got convicted by the Holy Spirit. She started to inquire, is the prayer room for everybody? Well, then she started sacrificing 30 minutes a week of her life and she went in to the prayer room and she tied all the Qurans away, tied all the mats away, and she spent some time with Jesus and started praying. Amen. And she filled that room with the presence of God. And then what she did was every week for that 30 minutes, she would spend time in prayer in that place of her work and just simply spend time with Jesus. What was she doing? She was worshiping God. Amen. She was bringing the presence of God into her workplace. And that's what you do every day, whether you are praying in a prayer room or just simply going to work. It's up to you to ask God and say, God, how should I mobilize? There's unions and there's places that you can be involved in, but you need to pursue God in such a way to get a heart change, amen? Certainly, if your heart doesn't change and you just keep ignoring the Holy Spirit and you ignore these tuggins, then I'm telling you, nothing's going to happen because faith moves God. And as, as you're obedient to God and you say, God, I want to do something for you. I remember last week, a couple, no, it wasn't last week, a couple of weeks ago, I was praying to God and I said, God, you know what, what happened to healing? What happened to miracles? What happened to signs and wonders? And I remember just asking God to use me in the miraculous. I remember praying for a gentleman and I prayed for him, I felt the presence of God. And then a couple of days later, he, he, he just said, I've been healed, I've been healed. Uh, and I remember just being surprised. I thought, my God, is it that simple? You ask God. You expect God, then you pray, and then you see God move and God heals. 
Today I was up in Luton, in Luton Tabernacle Church, one of the LCC churches, and I was just had the privilege of connecting with them uh, for the first time in a long time. And this morning a lady got healed of back pain. I just told the testimony, prayed for her, and right there on the spot she came forward and she received a healing. You see, you just need to step out and believe God. Now, you may not have the gift of healing. You may not be flowing in the gift of healing. Something else may be your gift. But you may be. And you just need to step out and pursue God, study what it is, study your gift and become sharp in that gift. So Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind, let's read from verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I don't know about you, but I find that quite hard because actually I'm really concerned about me all the time. I don't know if that's you, but I'm quite concerned about me. Not in an unhealthy way. Actually, I'm not looking in the mirror. I used to look in the mirror when I was 15, 16 when I had hair, but now I don't really look in the mirror anymore. <laughs> except to, to find out how long this beard is getting. So I'm not in, into, into, vanity, into the vanity fair, but I am concerned about me. I'm concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about my, where they got to school. I'm concerned about my finances. I'm concerned about other things. And that simply means that I'm not concerned about anybody else. Because 90% of the time, I'm thinking about me. But yet, Paul challenges us. He says, Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. And for me, that's the key of worship right there. If you're looking for the heart of worship, it, the key is lowliness of mind. Lowliness of thinking. It means to get low before the Lord. Now, if you're going to magnify the name of Jesus, it's more than saying, hallelujah, everybody magnify the name of Jesus. And everyone goes, whoa, yeah, hallelujah. But it's more than that. To magnify the name of Jesus, I believe, is to get the lowest possible that you can get. Amen. If you can get low and you can disappear, then he has a chance to appear. Amen. I don't get something about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he has a ministry. He's calling people into the wilderness. It's quite hard to have a ministry in the wilderness because there is no Coca-Cola out there and there is no can machines. There is no Starbucks and there is no Costa and there's nothing out there. It's just a desert. But yet he goes out there and he starts preaching and loads of people start coming to him and, he, and he's, he's got a crowd of people. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, John's the best. John is the one. Yes, Maybe he's the Messiah. We don't know. Let's ask him. And there's this conversation taking place. But when John sees Jesus, something happens. And he says these words. He says, I wouldn't have known him except that the Spirit of God told me, whoever you see, the Spirit remain on, that's the one. So he's going through this process of ministry. He's got loads of people. He's attracting, he's got an anointing. He's baptizing people. He's the most popular. He's, he's the star, as if it were. Everyone's seeing him. And then suddenly, as soon as he recognizes the Messiah, as soon as he recognizes who Jesus is, he takes a step back. What's that? Lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. That's saying, you know what? This is the preferred one. He says this statement. He said, let me decrease and let him increase. Now, I don't know if you can do that because the tendency for me is that I want to be seen. I want to be the John the Baptist. If I was John the Baptist, I'd probably say, you know, John, you know, yeah, Jesus is anointed, but I'm also anointed. I'm John the Baptist. 
I eat locusts and wild honey. I'm going to keep baptizing people. In fact, I'm going to just increase the, increase the popularity of my website. I'm going to get some emails more sent out there. I'm going to become more and more popular because maybe me and Jesus are the same. And maybe we can partner together and each of us can have a global ministry. Maybe both of us could die on the cross. Maybe both of us could rise again on the third day. No, he doesn't do that. He takes a back seat. Now, I don't know about you, but how can you do that without the Spirit of God? Without God revealing to you. Without God, without the example of Christ, this is what it means. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So the mind, the will, the emotions, these kind of things, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he wasn't concerned about equality. He wasn't concerned about being like God. This is the example of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, but made himself of no reputation. The word there is kanoa in the Greek, and it actually means nothing or to neutralize. Or another word in the ESV says to empty yourself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. So he empties himself. That's exactly what John did, didn't he? He emptied himself of his, of his position of his title, of his fame, and he said, I, I prefer Christ. I'm following Christ. The Spirit of God has remained on him, therefore I'm going to get behind in the queue and I'm going to follow Christ. Because it's the Spirit of God, we have a relationship with God. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to tell you what revival is. What I think revival is, is magnifying the name of Jesus. Amen? That's revival when you only get one amen for magnifying the name of Jesus. That's revival. Because it's hot. You know, that's our job, because Jesus said, if we lift him high, he will draw all people to himself. Aren't we in the business of drawing people to Jesus? Aren't we in the business of drawing people to Jesus? Yes, we are. That's our job. Worship, or the heart of worship, is about lifting up the name of Jesus. So emptying yourself of yourself is the key. Now, humility, as he gives the example, humility is very key when it comes to this. Humility of heart is the first step to salvation. So without humility, you wouldn't even be here right now, being a Christian. You wouldn't be in the church. Because the first step, you have to admit that you need to empty yourself of sin. You have no greater sign of confirmed pride than when you think you're humble enough. No confirmed sign of confirmed pride when you think you're humble enough, when you think you've made it. In Philippians 3, Paul says these words. He says, not that I've made it, but I press on to the high call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, most of us here today know that verse, do we not? But most of us Christians, and me included, sometimes we get to the point in our lives where we think we've made it. We've done enough. We've made it. What have you made? Well, I've made it. I'm a little bit more mature than I was. I have an anointing. I have a gift. I got a job in the ministry. I, I'm on team. 
I've made it. And at that point, you stop in your relationship with God. You stop moving forward because your attitude is, hey, I've made it. I've made it. See, I'm not saying that you're in pride there, but I'm saying as soon as you accept that and say, I've made it, then you have stopped moving forward with God. Now, one of the things about worship ministry, when I was, had the privilege of leading the 230 service on a Saturday, I remember because flesh likes to negotiate, doesn't it? Flesh likes to negotiate about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So, hey, you know, if the bar's here, maybe I can just be here. Maybe that's the made it level, if the bar's here. So we used to have a bar, and the bar used to be everybody who's involved in ministry should be in a cell group. Now, I'm not saying prison cell, I'm saying cell group. Now, the benefit of being in a cell group is that you receive support, love, care, and this kind of stuff. You're getting pastoral care, and you're getting pastoral help, and also you get encouraged to move forward with God. Now, many people say, well, I don't need to attend a cell group. Why? Because I've got rehearsal here. I've got uh, sing every day on Sunday. I've got, I've got my family. I'm done with the cell group. And I start to say, it's not, the point is not whether you're in the cell group or not. That's not the point. The point is, are you moving forward with God? That's the point. If you are not moving forward with God, then that's, that's a main reason not to be involved in ministry. Because how can you pour out to people if you're empty yourself? If you're not filled with God yourself, what are you pouring out? There'll come a point, and this is not for just the worship team, this is for stewards, every area of ministry. If you're pouring out and there's nothing pouring in, then eventually you're going to be empty. You're going to think, my God, I'm tired. I need about a year out because there's nothing of God in my life. I'm just doing it out of duty. That's the benefit of being involved in the cell group. Now, more than being involved in the cell group is to make sure that you're filled with God. You're filled with God. The problem being here, when Jesus talks about the scripture, Paul talks about the word kanoa, he talks about emptying yourself. Emptying yourself. Now, how are you going to be filled with revival if you're full of yourself? If you're full of yourself, and that's me included. If we're full of ourselves, so in here, he's saying, empty yourself. Empty yourself. It's, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, and I think it's verse 20, he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The problem is, it's no longer Christ who lives, it's me who lives in me. That's usually what happens. We're, we're, as soon as we leave the church building, we go out and we live our lives. But there needs to be a crucifixion. Christ emptied himself on the cross. Now, I'm challenging myself here today because when you reach this verse in verse 8, he says, and he became obedient. How many people love the word obedient? I mean, I hate the word obedient. As soon as you say I have to be obedient, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be obedient. If you said, I want you to be obedient, Christian, go out and play football for the next week, do training every day, I'd be like, that's easy, I'll do that, see you later. I'm it's easy to be obedient. It's hard to be obedient when you actually don't want to do it. So there needs to be some sort of emptying of self, some sort of process where you empty yourself. That's revival. Well, how is God going to fill you with his fire and his anointing and signs and wonders? And you go out and people start dropping like flies under the power of God. How's he going to do that if there's so much of you? You start putting on your website. You start putting it up on the billboards. Look at me. I'm an amazing man of God. Hallelujah. 
and you're not magnifying Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't necessarily, we shouldn't put it out there and we shouldn't thank God. But what I'm saying is, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Amen. Revival is about humility. He says, if you humble yourself and pray and seek my face, this cannot be conjured up. This is not an ABC. This is not something like, oh yeah, just press one, two, three and boom, revival is going to happen. It involves something. It involves a process of emptying. Now I've got to admit to you, I am not at that place of obedience. I'm just not at that place. I'm on a journey this year. My challenge of maturity is I want to get to that place of obedience. I want to get to that place by humbling myself, by being a man of no reputation. Now, if I can ask Jardil just to put that on the screen for me, that, that little thing there. Now, this was sent to me on Facebook in the week. I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it was sent to me by some Niger missionaries. Now, I had the privilege of going to Niger. Now, Niger is one of the poorest countries in the world. But there's revival there. There's some, Neil and Danette Charles, they planted over 30 something churches. Richard Roberts had a a 30,000 people campaign before the coup in about 2009. And she sent me this. And I thought to myself, what do we need to empty ourselves from? We need to empty ourselves of titles. Empty ourselves of titles. Now it's not just, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a doctor. In fact, Torian, she loves to put doctor at the beginning of her name. She loves it. Why? Because she worked her butt off for six years. And hey, she got to put it there. But there's a difference between putting it there because you earned it and I'm a doctor. You got to call me doctor. You haven't got any respect, have you? Have you? I'm a doctor. You know, leave that behind. Crucify the doctor. Amen. We've got to lay our titles. How are you going to bow down at the foot of the cross when the, when the 24 elders bow down in Revelation 19? How are you going to bow down? How am I going to bow down if I can't bow down to God today? If I can't relinquish my title today? Paul says in Philippians 3, what does he say? He says, you know what? If we want to boast about titles, if we want to go on about titles, I was a Pharisee. I was of the highest order. I, I was a bigwig. I had all the titles. But what does he say? He says, you know what? I count them as rubbish. Rubbish. That I might gain what? A website. Gain. Fame. Gain. Signs and wonders ministry. No. He says that I may gain Christ. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So in Philippians 2, we're following the example of Christ. If we want revival, we're not looking to thank God for Paul Cain and his prophecy and his match lighting and his prophecy of unprecedented revival. But we're not going to bow down to Paul Cain. We're not going to put Paul Cain in lights. We're going to put Jesus in lights, amen? We're going to prophesy a move of God where Jesus is at the center. I remember Colin saying that that's his prayer, that in the church that Jesus would be the center of attraction. That's worship right there. Worship is not based on feelings. We've got to empty ourselves of our emotions. Galatians 5 talks about the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. And even though you read that, anger, hate, emptying, anger, hate, violence, emptying it all out, unforgiveness, oh God, unforgiveness, God have mercy, you know, this kind of stuff, we're emptying it out, emptying it out before the Lord. You know what, someone said to me, if you're going to get humility, I said said to a little poem of mine, humility is something that you grab a hold of, you think you have, and then suddenly you turn around, you've lost it, and you wonder where it's gone. Because the moment that you got it, and then you said, hey, I'm so humble, well, maybe not then. (laughs) 
Maybe not. Where's it going? Humility. There's a scripture in 1 Peter that says, clothe yourself with all humility. It's a daily walk. So crucifying the flesh, which is the end of Galatians 5, he says, you know what the key is? Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and you will live a life of the Spirit. Amen? It's spirit worship. Worship that comes from the heart. Worship, you know, when somebody sings, la, 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 nothing happening. And then someone sings, it's like, whoa, amen. Woo! Something just happens there. I was watching something yesterday that moved me. And for me, that's what happens when you're moved by God and you want to worship God. You want to worship God because you love God. So it's emptying yourself of the flesh, emptying yourself of titles and becoming, if you can even read it at the bottom, a servant, a servant. Emptying yourself of self, emptying yourself of sin, emptying yourself of the flesh, emptying yourself of the world, emptying yourself of the devil. The problem being here, when you leave this place today, what's going to happen? Because I get the train to work most days. And I can see people on the train. And you're probably exactly those kinds of people. And what happens is they've got their beats on. And they're looking at their Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or news or something like that. And it seems to me that you can't even speak to somebody today because they're so zoned out. How are they going to receive Christ? They need to empty themselves. Pull themselves out of the world. Pull themselves out of ungodly music. Pull themselves out of ungodly influences. That's what's going to happen. We need to challenge people to do that. We need to challenge our youth to empty themselves. Stop listening to the things of the world and start listening to God's Word. Start listening to the things of God. One of the challenges that I've had recently is, me, it's personal to me is internal worship versus external worship. Now, for me, you put your Walkman on, or you put your iPad on, or you put your smart TV on. What is that? Now, it may make you feel good. You're not, you're feeling depressed. Then suddenly, Elevation Church. Woo, hallelujah, glory be to God. You know, what is that? Is that real worship? I mean, it may be, you may get into real worship the more you continue in that. But what that is, is the anointing that comes upon. So you're feeling depressed, you're feeling tired, and then suddenly it's like, whoa, I feel supercharged. Hallelujah. How long does that last till match of the day? And then you put that match of the day on, you're like, oh, God, I feel depressed again because Arsenal got beat. <laughs> I texted a guy late last night because I felt convicted that I hadn't responded to him. He texted me back, I'm feeling depressed. Why did you text me for? But I'm glad to meet with you for some inner healing. Hallelujah. See, the external, we're all in externals. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that it's not, we're not worshiping Apollos, we're not worshiping Paul. Now, what does that mean? It means when you're spiritually immature, you're off the titles. Oh, it's Elevation, oh, it's Hillsong, it's Bethel. Oh, it's none of that, it's Graham Kendricks. Oh, it's in our, in our family, in Torian's family, it's Keith Green. Do you remember him? No, you don't even remember him. Keith Green, that was old school songs. And I'm thinking, whatever your thing is, you're not going to get your playlist played in heaven. Do you know that? You're not going to turn up to heaven and say, you know, Jesus, I like some elevation mixed with a bit of Hillsong, mixed with a bit of Bethel, and maybe put the fire conference on there at the same time. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Because all that's external. External. Comes from the external. But the kingdom of God is not about external things, is it? The kingdom of God is about the heart. The heart. What's going on in the heart? See, this is you. 
This is how worship flows to God. It comes out of your heart to God. And I remember having a crazy experience at the fire conference of a guy, um, Eric Gilmore, who was preaching on Mary and Martha. And he's preaching about the alabaster flask of oil. And as he began to speak about that, I thought, this is my desire. I've been trying to get this stuff in me. Humility, low, lowness, no reputation, a bond servant. Stop, I'm trying to get the scripture in me this year. I've been working at it. You know, and I've been asking God to give me a revelation. So I get to that point of obedience. Because obedience is easy when you come to that place of surrender. And as he was minister on Mary and Martha, he kept saying, she just wanted to kiss his feet. The alabaster flask oil, kiss his feet. Mary wanted to be at his feet. And, I, and as he was saying, I thought, oh my God, that's what I want to be. I want to be at the feet of Jesus. I want to be in complete rest. I want to be in the presence of Jesus. That's where I want to be. The most important place for you to be and I to be is in the presence of Jesus. Now, if you've not been in the presence of Jesus, what are you going to do when you're in the presence of somebody else and you're trying to make a difference in their life? See, the presence of Jesus makes a difference in the world. Without Jesus, we can't make a difference in the world. Something needs to happen to me first, as it happened to John the Baptist. If it doesn't happen to me first, how is it going to happen to this other person who's full of sin? I had to be transformed first. Now, if you look at the word bondservant here, I don't know if they've nicked the, they've nicked the servant, the servant's gone to heaven. <laughs> oh, he's back, praise the Lord. Form bondservant. Jesus became a bondservant. Now, I'm telling you today that nobody wants to talk about slaves because I was watching a Nigerian guy yesterday who'd been kidnapped and brought to Libya and he lost all his money and you could see the tears in his eyes and the pain that those people are going through. Nobody wants to be a slave. No one wants to talk about it. But there's two words for servant in the Greek that I want to look at. One is diagonos. That's the word that is used when James and John are trying to be the best servants. They're trying to be the best guys in town. Say, Jesus wants to sit on your right and your left. And Jesus responds, you must be first become a servant. He's talking about the word minister or deacon. That's what he's talking about at that point. But then Jesus goes the extra mile. And he says, you know what? If you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be servant of all. So he's used servant twice. The first servant is the word diagonos, which is the word minister, which gives the impression of a hired servant. So when Jesus is talking about parables, parables, the parables of the talent or the parables of the wedding feast, the, these people, I diagonos, they're ministers, or they're servants, or they're paid. So they, they don't really own a title so much. They, they're a little bit important, but they're nothing in terms of doctor, lawyer, and that kind of thing. They're just basically paid, hired people. But the word doulos in the Greek, which is the word here, bond servant, which is often used by the disciples, Peter and John and Paul, bond servant of Christ. It's another way of saying, I'm sold out. Do you remember those sermons in the 90s? Be sold out for the Lord. Be sold out. This is what it means to be a bondservant, doulos. It means to be sold out for the Lord. It means to be a slave. In fact, it means to be low, the lowest of ranks. So what it's saying there, Jesus came down from heaven and became the lowest in rank. He humbled himself and became a bondservant, the lowest of rank. He emptied himself of all his titles and as he became lowest in rank, God exalted him. Name above all names and king above all kings. That's what it means. Now a bondservant, you know in the Old Testament, when a servant would be, a bondservant would be with a master for seven years. In Deuteronomy 15, you can read it later. It says that if somebody wants to 
be in his master's house forever, something needs to happen to him. And it says that the bondservant needs to come to his master and say, hey, I want to be with you forever. And you know what he does? He says, take him to the door. Now, one, two, guys. Ori and Ola, come here. I've got like five minutes to do this, praise the Lord. Come and try and create a door. I mean, lift your hands in the air. <laughs> I know this is not, this is more women's net stuff, but touching hands and all that, but create a door, amen? <laughs> so you bring him to the door. Now, when you are serving sin and Satan, this is what it means to be a slave. <laughs> this is what it means to be a slave. Come to the door, you're my servant. All right? This is what fear operates and sin operates. It's all about badgering and beating. You're my slave. Come with me. You're my slave. Come with me. I hope your ears still work and help after this. Hallelujah. All right? So it's about me controlling you. Sin controls you. Your fears control you. This is what's happening in your life. This is what it means to be enslaved. Those people in Libya right now are being controlled by ungodly men an ungodly people that we need to pray about. But you know what? The door here, he says, take him to the door. What's the door? The picture of the door. The door is a picture of Christ. Jesus said, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will find life. Whoever enters through me will find life. So the servant has recognized that it's better to be a bondservant in his master's house. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. Where's he going to go? His master has everything. Where are you going to go? God has everything in the world. Hallelujah. God has all the love in the world, all the possessions in the world. He has everything in the world. So when you come to that conclusion, as John the Baptist did when he saw Jesus, you say, you know what? I must decrease. He must increase. You know what? I've been a slave. I've been serving this man. But now I want to be a full-time bond servant. What happens is he comes voluntary. Now the difference is, Involuntary, he's in bondage to sin. Involuntary, he's owned by sin. But when he looks at his master and says, hey, that's Jesus, that's my new master, it is voluntary. To be a bondservant is voluntary. It's about ownership. Who owns you? Who owns you? I remember in Fast and Furious, they say this comment, he says, own you, own you. Now I know we say that on the street. It's a phrase. But you know, who owns you today? Because Paul says, I was bought with a price. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified to the world. I've been crucified to slavery. In fact, I want to be the Lord's bondservant. So he voluntarily comes to the door, which is a picture of Christ. Hallelujah. And at the door, it's the door of redemption. It's the door of forgiveness. And right there on the spot, he turns his ear. You know what the ear signifies? That he's ready to listen to God. He's not ready to listen to himself. He's not ready to listen to other people. He's not ready to listen to this world. He's not ready to listen to the devil. He's not ready to listen to self or sin. He's ready to listen to God. And he gets his ear pierced. And you know when that blood is on the door, it's a reminder of the book of Exodus. You know what happened in Exodus when God said, if you want to be protected against death, put the blood on the doorposts. So the angel of death will go over. It's about life. Being a bondservant of Jesus, being a bondservant of God is about destiny. It's about being sold out for the Lord. It's about freedom. It's the complete opposite of this world. 
Now the world wants to put you in bondage, but Jesus wants to put you in freedom. Hallelujah. Whoever enters through me will find life. Let's give Jesus praise. So I don't know about you, but I desire to be a doulos. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Doulos. I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. We're all in a process of development. Of development. So number one, empty yourself. Number two, surrender your will because that's what it means to be a doulos. That's what it means to be a bond servant. Surrender your will before the Lord and say, Lord, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And number three, to bow down. What's the result of seeing that you're now a bondservant? Is that you come and you bow at the foot of the cross. And you bow down. And you bow down voluntary. Oh no, God's over here, mate. God's over here. Turn around. God's over here. God's over here. You bow down voluntary. You bow down voluntary, you know what? Because Jesus says, he who's forgiven much, loves much. And that is the automatic reaction of worship when you know that you've emptied yourself of yourself and there's none of you left and you've made a decision to pierce your ear, listen to God, come to the door of freedom and say, God, I've come to the point in my life where you own me. You are my Lord, because he goes on to say, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How can we say that? We can read it, but how can we say that from the heart unless we've made a decision to be sold out for the Lord? Have our ear pierced, let that blood begin to drip and let the door of freedom be a part of our lives. Hallelujah. So this is the natural reaction of worship. This is the natural reaction of worship. To God, when you know that you've been set free, when you know you're following God's plan for your life, when you know that you've emptied yourself on a daily basis and saying, God, you know what? I don't have it all together, but every day I'm coming to the cross. I'm emptying myself of myself. I'm emptying myself of my own will. I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the center of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Hallelujah.